0: Hi, this is Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast, a podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today, we're talking to Emmanuel Prince about movements of disciples and churches in Sudan. So picture me as a 21-year-old uh, greenhorn, and I was in Theological Seminary in Germany um, and had just started. And we had uh, uh, one series of lectures, uh, Introduction to Missiology, just 15 lectures. And one of them, my missions professor, um, uh, a Canadian Mennonite, uh, Hans Kastorf, devoted to the topics of people movements. It blew my mind. It, It caught my attention. So after 45 minutes of lecture, I, I was shaking my head and thinking, "Wow, why am I only now hearing about movements? Uh, why is not every missionary who comes to our chapel talking about movements? Why is not every missionary who came to my home church uh, talking about movements? Why? This is amazing. This is this is fascinating. So, um, you know, forty-five minutes and he talked mm-hmm. a bit about uh, a West Ham, uh Pickett and Christian mass movements in India." And Alan Tippett and people movements, as it was called um, at the time in southern Polynesia, and a little bit about McGavran and the Bridges of God. But boy, you know, he had me fascinated. Uh, fascinated to the degree that um, I, I told you I was a young radical, a newbie, but radical. I decided I want to learn anything I can about movements. So, I drove to the uh, university library. There's a library in Germany that has the mandate to buy any theological, messiological book that is published anywhere in the world, right? Uh, most countries have that. So I knew that my library would have any book that has ever been published on movements. And I went into the library and photocopied page by page of all the books. There were only a handful, but, you know, well, yeah, uh, uh, half a dozen. Um, photocopied every single book uh, page that I could find Mm. at that time to do with movements and and studied. And uh, I was by myself. I I didn't find any fellow student who was equally interested in the topic. Um, Yeah. And and that's what prepared me uh, for ministry among Muslims um, in the Sudan. So, um, you know, with a highlighter. And a pencil, writing observations, and then I started a word file. I'm always someone who thinks application, thinks implementation. Well, what's the practical takeaway from from this great theory? Um, and I've started a word file on my first computer to say, you know, what what does it mean in terms of implementation? What are practical steps that I can glean from this um, for? Um, for ministry, so for example, I'd never heard of the concept of multi-individual conversation, uh, um, conversion. To think instead of extracting, and that was the model of the time, pretty pretty much, especially among those ministering among Muslim, extracting Muhammad, extracting Muna, and then trying to build a little house church around them, um, while they're most likely alienated from their family. To think, how can I understand read? You know, authority structures in society, uh, 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 connections, relationships, and rather steer a whole group like a household, uh, what the Book of Acts calls an oikos, an extended family into the kingdom. How can I uh, focus on leaders? Um, In Sudan, typically in rural societies, the so-called sheikhs, the traditional village chiefs. How can I make sure, you know, they are part of a a process? So I developed um, a vision to really bring a whole people group into the kingdom, um, which God confirmed. Um, God gave me a vivid dream um, um, as I prayed over a particular people group in Sudan and and showed me that, yes, there would be a big move of God among that people group one day. And that was at a time when there were maybe – two or three non-believers so it was absolutely unengaged at the time and just less than a handful believers there but when i hit the ground in sudan it was with the prayer and uh my team and i were praying for nothing less than a movement so when we did pray together several times a week we did pray for a neighbor faisal and you know for a neighbor asha but we also prayed for the the village chiefs. We also prayed for a movement and uh, reached out to people, always not only seeing the individual but seeing the network behind them and thinking how could we place, you know, the good news most effectively um, in this community. And so how did you go sort of taking what you've learnt from practitioners about movements but then applying it in in your in sudan right um well um trying out a lot of things so we experimented you know with identity how do we present ourselves well initially you know you learn arabic and then we're christian okay you know every muslim nod and draw our clothes you're in the box and the conversation is over because now they know what you believe and what you stand for. And it's not worthwhile entertaining in any spiritual conversation, right? Because a Muslim is superior in his in his understanding of God and the truth from a Christian. So then we experimented. Well, you know, what does that mean if we say, well, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus, of Isa, Or I have surrendered my life to God in Esau. So we always wanted to bring Jesus into the conversation. So experimenting with who are we? How do we present ourselves and experimenting then what is good news for Muslims? So uh, as we were diving deeper, deeper into the culture, we got to know the, the brokenness and their pain and their hungers. And then thought, you know um, how can we formulate a gospel message that is truly a uh, good news to them. That is the good news of the kingdom. Jesus says, you know, he was preaching the good news of the kingdom. So in other words, to me, in essence, whatever we formulate as good news has to do be the kingdom of God. But what is the expression of the kingdom of God for these people meeting their needs, meeting them where they are in life at the time that we have the conversation with them? So that was a whole process of experimenting, um, always thinking, again, you know, how can we how can we develop a message that is good news for this entire people group? And who do we need to relate to, reach out to, love on, and then share with so that there is a gradual opening for the good news, not only among a handful of individuals, but on a, at a communal level? And did you see the, those breakthroughs happen? We did not see it. Um, At the desired scale in the big city. Now that is interesting and uh, I've long thought and analyzed what might have led to this. So in the big, we did see fruit. Uh, My neighbor from across the road, uh, let's call him Frank, you know, he came into the kingdom. Uh, even though my Arabic was still broken, uh, well, we used some English as well. But, you know, um, so at an early stage, uh, I, had, I had arrived in the neighborhood uh, eight months before and he, he committed to Christ. Um, and we saw, um, we saw a house church established. Um, now, uh, the model didn't work uh, fully. And I guess one of the reasons was that we're still learning and experimenting ourselves. Um, and we, we only saw men come into the kingdom. Um, so again, it was individual conversion, individual decision, and, and um, because it was only men, it didn't it didn't uh, include the wives and didn't include the children, um, and also it was mostly younger men who were not opinion leaders in society, who were not you know authority figures whose word had weight. Um, So we saw some fruit in the city, but not a movement. Um, Then we deliberately moved um, into a rural area. Um, I had read at the time that most people movements uh, start in rural areas, in village contexts where society is still more closely knit. And that's what we did and uh, reached out to the village chiefs. So um, it was a humanitarian context. We had to, um, an identity as NGO workers and uh, started an NGO with a su- supplementary feeding program for malnourished children, uh, a primary health care, a clinic, and attend this type of thing to uh, express you know, uh, the compassion of Christ. But we, we wanted, again, an identity question. We had learned that now. From day one, we wanted to make sure they they perceive us as spiritual people, as people who are different from the other white faces they had known. So I uh, had, had a meeting um, to get to know uh, the, the village chiefs of the wider area, picture me under a tree with 50 uh, chiefs and basically said, you know, we are here to serve you and your people, your society, We also want you to know we're people who serve God with our lives and and with uh, with these services here. So a spiritual identity established from the very first encounter, I believe, was key. Um, And then bring Jesus into every conversation. Uh, That was our approach in a, again, contextual, sensitive way, not in an obnoxious way. But, you know, bring him into every conversation. Well, wh- why are you here? You know, well, why is a white man in a in an underdeveloped uh, a civil war-torn rural area? Well, the answer, I could have told them anything, but has to do with Jesus. I and mean, it was basically, in essence, you know, I'm one of the followers of Jesus. And, and Jesus really um, exhorts his followers to express compassion to the needy. And I heard about your, you know, your, your need here. And so... That, that, that's the reason we're here. Any question? So, um, you know, do you, think, um, do you think there is hope that we would have peace here again? Well, again, that, that requires a longer answer. W- why don't we have peace? But in essence, you know, Jesus is um, in Islam, the, the Nabi As-Salam, the Prince of Peace. Um, you know, you can only have peace with each other uh, between tribes and in your families from village to village. If you first have peace with God in your heart and, and peace of, uh, with God, you can have, you know, if you put your tr- trust in Jesus. So and it, it bring Jesus into every conversation, basically. Um, and then realize they were generally open. Mm. Um, first, it was probably the respect for the outsider, you know, the foreigner, the NGO director. But in our they really, it, they, they started to think for the first time probably in their life seriously about, you know, um, and a, par- a paradigm, an alternative paradigm. than the one that that people group had believed in uh, for 500 years, um, 100% of them, uh, they had never even considered an alternative And so um, they asked, began to ask more questions. Again, I focused my outreach mostly on village heads, uh, opinion leaders. Included also um, other influences like the teachers of schools, for example. Thinking you know they are shaping the next generation. They also have a a, 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 like a power position in society. Tried also um, imams and mosques um, in, in in friendly, respectful a dialogue yet unmistakably and unapologetically bringing the Jesus into into every conversation um yeah uh, cut a long story short um you know realize they are more open than I'd ever dreamed they would be so we're praying for a movement but somehow I had thought you know we'll see a movement maybe after 20 years, hmm. 20 years of compassion ministry serving their needs holistically, sowing the seed and, you know, um, like the waters of arising with every year that passes by, there is more seed sown. There is more gospel conversation uh, among the people. And then at some point we'll see a breakthrough. Um, it happened much, much earlier. Um, and, uh, yeah, what did here, what did that breakthrough look like? Very good question. And here we come to, to the main topic of our conversation: um, the person of of the catalyst. So uh, we'll we'll talk about it in in a, in a moment. I want don't want to preempt, but you know, um, uh, my study and my book uh, identified that one characteristic of every movement catalyst anywhere is boldness. So I'm not naturally a bold person. I I was a shy young man. Um, So here we had lots of opportunity to share Jesus, but I realized in my heart there's much more possible. And I said to myself uh, and to to God, Father, I'm afraid my lack of boldness is, is the minimum factor here. Fill me with boldness. Fill me with boldness so I can seize this opportunity this door that's opening up fully i'm grateful for the progress but i think that they're 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 receptive and so i prayed for boldness every morning i got up and the first thing i did you know sitting with my bible and under the tree in my courtyard of my house is father give me more boldness mm-hmm. um And I did this for a couple of weeks. And one morning I literally jumped up from my seat and I said, I'm gonna preach to them. Now, um, again, this is a context, 100% Muslim society. They have been Muslims for 500 years. Uh, There is the picture of this. So we're talking about these conversations with the sheikhs take place under the trees. And there is just 50 meters away sit a couple of guys with an AK-47, the rebel army commanders. Very intently, you know, listening into anything that's happening. We're also told there is government spies everywhere. So, in other words, you know, if we make the wrong move, they give us the boot. Uh, they close down the NGO and then give me five days to leave the country. So the stakes were high. And yet, um, I'm going to preach, uh, which means I, I need to explain not a three point expository Sunday morning sermon as we had identified that telling stories is the approach and telling stories that integrate with their worldview and then expand their worldview. So um, here I was and thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to Sheikh Adam. Sheikh Adam was the senior Sheikh, again, authority structures, right? Thinking multiplication, uh, Sheikh Adam being the door opener, the person of peace, and um, how about on my next visit, I said, Sheikh Adam, you know, we have these wonderful conversations about truth and the word of God and about Jesus. But then, you know, my satellite phone rings or my VHF radio and I need to run to the clinic because there is something. And again, we get interrupted. I think we need much more time. How about you invite um, your fellow sheikhs and we have a meeting where we just explore truth together. Great idea, he thought. And he sent emissaries on donkeys in the surrounding villages. And uh, we agreed on a date. And sure enough, on that date, more than 50 village chiefs showed up. Now, I said boldness is a key quality of movement catalyst. I naturally Mm. am not a bold man. So here I was and, you know, had these 50 guys and um we talked about the next vaccination campaign that's fell within our responsibility as an as an agency providing primary health care um, and planned that for you know about 45 minutes an hour. And my heart sank, and I thought, you know, I think this was a crazy idea. Um, maybe I just dis- dismiss them, and um, few will notice probably you know, that we that we didn't um, tackle what we actually came from for. And I was about to say this, and then something in my spirit, you know, stood up and said, no, no. And I said, Lord, now give me boldness. And I, I kind of got up again and then basically started a meeting um, where I um, told chronologically the story of creation that is perfect and good and the fall the prophets, you know, common ground with Muslims um, who also try to reach God based on their own merits and how they all failed and fell short and um, how Jesus is uh, the bridge into the kingdom of God. And um, and there was amazing openness. So I tell the story of Ibrahim, of Abraham, and David, and Moses. They're figures they are familiar with. And point out in each of the lives of these prophets how they were godly men, righteous men, men who sought God with all their hearts. And yet, they all had flaws in their lives. They all failed. Abraham lied. Uh, David committed adultery. Uh, Moses hit the rock in anger and so forth and so it, it is dialogical as much as possible so i asked them: so do you think that um do you think that abraham was a, a completely righteous man do you think his righteousness was sufficient that he would you know make it back to paradise and, and be flawless before god and, and the same with the other prophets and then i said well you know we have seen the, the the prophets um and they as we all agree here right they have Failed, their merits were not sufficient uh, to open up the kingdom of God back to them. If they failed, do you think we today have a chance? And you know, you could feel it, even though it wasn't a room; it was open field, and you know, the the village school in the background and the children playing. It was sudden silence, and you could feel the conviction. So um, in that dialogical way, um, I I had prepared an ending where I wanted to give them a chance to respond. So it wasn't one-way communication at all. It was always back and forth and also with the the motivation they could express their hearts and thoughts. At the same time, I knew where do they stand uh, because um, what I learned from my studies later is a key competency of Movement Catalyst is the ability to change the beliefs, to challenge and then influence the beliefs of people. It's not mere enough for, in many cases, to simply share our testimony as valuable as a testimony can be. The power of, you know, my life was like this before Christ. Here is how he changed my life. But it takes an approach to understand what are the beliefs because most people outside of the kingdom, they hold on to certain beliefs that keep them from investigating Christ further. And an effective movement catalyst is able to identify what these beliefs are and then to address them, which means either they're going to be adapted or they're going to be replaced. Um, So um, this is a, a, what, what, what I was saying, illustration of the, the competence of influencing others' uh, beliefs. So um, I wanted to find out how open are they really? And so I brought a, a, a gospel, you know, a leather-bound gold, a precious one, and said, you know, um, and um, I want to offer this gospel to you all. It's yours. Um, I will hand it now to Shea Adam the senior leader of the group. Um, but if you're interested in finding out more about the message that we explored together today, uh, go to Shea and and you can have it for a period of time. And then, you know, if someone else is interested, pass it on to them. So I wanted them to own... And this is, you know, oral learners, it's holistic. I wanted them to own this book, this gospel, corporately. What I didn't count on is that as soon as the meeting was kind of concluded, um, uh, two, three men jumped up and basically said, I don't want to wait until Sheikh Adam has read it. Uh, Would you have a copy for me as well? And that showed me how genuine you know, their interest was. Um, another thing that happened before the meeting was dismissed is I sat down and they had the opportunity to respond. And I just wanna quote two uh, two statements that were made by one of these sheikhs present that I think are very insightful. Um, one of the sheikhs said this, he said, you know, you all know I have lived in the north of the country. Uh, that's where um, fundamentalist Islam is the strongest. And I have been all to all the famous preachers and all the mosques. And you know, brothers, I have never dared to tell you this. But today I feel we have heard the truth. And so I want you to know all these preachers in the north, they all use religion for their personal gain and none of them lives what they preach in the mosque i believe what we have heard here today is truth from god and we need to find out more about it so i could have never said that right i mean i would seen mm-hmm. something similar but uh, woo, i mean never could i have said this but so i i realized there is this strong facade of a society that seems so deeply entrenched in whatever their religious system is, Hmm. but behind the facade, they have questions, they have doubts, you know, they have disillusionments and and all it takes is is an encounter for this to come up and no one contradicted him. So that was one. And the other one was um, another Sheikh who sat up and said, Oh, this has been such a wonderful meeting. You know, my heart is so warm. And, you know, these sons of Jesus, that's how they called us. um, These sons of Jesus, they have been with us for barely a year. And they have done more good for us than Islam has in centuries. And with Islam, they meant the central government, the political system, everything. So I told you about the uh, mobile clinic that we ran and the supplementary feeding center as a holistic expression um, of the kingdom of God. I, I don't, our compassion ministry, I think, won their hearts that they were willing to listen to us in the first place. I think it was then the power of the gospel, the power of the truth that opened their hearts that they would you know, want to find out uh, more. So mm-hmm. um, then they were dismissed. And basically I asked the question and said, you know, if you're interested, and I'm hearing some of you are interested, we can have more meetings like this. Fast forward, so we have more meetings like this, and I realize some are open. Some are ready to receive the good news that if they put their trust in Jesus, that then they can enter the kingdom of God and live under the reign of God. That was, in his, in essence, the, the gospel message that we that we shared. Um but I wanted a movement. <laughs> I didn't want, you know, these individuals to be to be drawn into the kingdom tonight. And so um I I moderated that and said, you know, um, there is so much disunity I said around. You know, there is war, there is inter-tribal uh, conflict. It is so important that you are a unity, you know, you are one. And um, so you've heard these voices and these brothers, you know, are are investigating uh, the, the, the Injil, the gospel of, of Christ. It's so important that you talk among one another and maintain your unity. Again, multi-individual conversion, uh, steering a group that is interested that is slow taking slow steps toward Christ as a whole toward Christ rather than those few who might have been ready already at the point you know to say now you say your conversion prayer and um, another thing that happened is um that the, the rumors spread in the villages and uh, individuals approached us and said You know we've heard that you are having these conversations with our leaders about about the gospel and about jesus um um, can we have a gospel too uh you know can can be part of this too and what i did is i i always referred to these authorities and said you are very welcome absolutely this is not a limited club Uh, the, the, the 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 gospel of christ is for everyone I would like you to to talk to your village chief and tell him of your interest and 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 then he he will tell you uh what he thinks but you are very welcome. Um and then I said that back to the group of leaders and said uh, guys you know this is your country you're in charge god established you as authority and as leaders you have an immense responsibility here. Um I want you to know that um uh, individuals have asked my team here um, to also receive copies of the gospel. Um, I, th- th- everything here is in the open, you know, so I would like to discuss with you and decide with you, how do we do this? Mm-hmm. So they owned it. It was their decision. It was how they did it. Uh, and basically we explored the option, you know, which, would we distribute them? Would that be okay or not? And again, uh, we want them to own it. It's theirs. So we decided, um, with a little bit of influence, but basically their decision, they owned it, that we would offer gospels to the sheikhs, but it would be the sheikhs handing them out in their villages to whoever was interested. Um, Another thing that happened was resistance. I mean, uh, wherever the gospel is shared, there is some resistance, right? It's it's the rare, rarest exception that there is none. So there were people in the villages complaining and saying, um, this is foreign, we don't want this, you know, this is not the way of Islam. Um, and uh, interestingly, um, they said um, themselves, you know, you don't worry about this, <laughs> we will take care of this. And, and I mean, I, I, I couldn't have taken care of it. You know, I was a foreigner. I was not there all the time. I didn't know what happened in the, um, you know, once the dusk is there, there's no electricity um, conversations in the dark among neighbors, none of this, however, the Sheikh would. And so he was the one who could deal, um, and, and, and negotiate these, these objections and, uh, So, in other words, a group journeying toward Christ and we're taking the time to give those who are more thorough, who have more objections still, who need more truth, um, who need more dialogue, to give them the time um, until they are ready. Um, And um, then after several months, uh, that time came. Um, and you can imagine it was a well one of the best uh, weeks in my life Um, and and, and, then you've got to tell us what what happened (laughs) so uh, another meeting of that kind again around 50 village chiefs present and some other men had joined and some children were in the background and some wives you know women were also uh, trying to listen in with one ear but it was mostly the group of of key leaders Um, and I explained to them that, um, what it meant, well, I had, you know, to put their trust in isa in Jesus, um, and, and we had talked about what it means to follow him, um, to live the Jesus lifestyle. Um, and, um, I, I explained and said, you know, uh, it is so important that you as a group, um, walk this journey today we we cannot have you know now fighting among you disagreement among you so you know make sure that you all agree on this and uh that took place and so what happened then in the end was something that i first explained and then walked through is that they all stood up and and raised their hands you know in prayer to god and and uh said a proclamation out loud together in the public, you know, again, the village school, just 50 yard way, uh, others around. So all, all public, nothing in hiding. And and said that they put their trust in Jesus, that they renounce Satan and all his works um, and they surrender using the words, you know, that is used for Islam, surrendering to God, surrender uh, their lives to Jesus. Um, and it was evident that first that few of them immediately, you know, thought, right, this is me, but how about my people? How about my village? And so instantly they were, some of them were saying, you know, can you come, can you come to my region? So there was a Sheikh, Sheikh William. And he said, you know, I'm Sheikh uh, William and the, so-and-so mountain area under the over eight villages at 11,000 people. Every one of them needs to hear. Um, can you come and teach them also? Another one said, you know, uh, how about the schools? You know, the next generation needs also to grow up in, in this gospel message. Um, could you train our school teachers so that this could be taught in the school? So in other words, I think what we did is they came up with the ideas for multiplication and they were different in, in different regions. And we then had an individual conversation uh, with them um, what it would look like. Um, it wasn't as though every one of the 50 plus, you know, was a multiplier. And the story then continued in very, very different ways. Um, a few of those initial uh, village chiefs became leaders of Jesus' groups in their villages. Some were simply door openers um, who probably even, didn't even continue a very active walk uh, with Christ, but basically opened their village uh, to the good news and there was then a, someone else um, a champion who continued the work and now thinking multiplication thinking existing structures in our experience it was often then the educated younger leader so that could be either the son of the sheikh but maybe even the, the head the headmaster of the local school someone who had gone to school in town who had a little bit of education, a little bit of broader mindset maybe, and and was then the one who took it on. So often uh, today now in the churches that exist, uh, it is not that these village chiefs automatically have become church leaders. It is often younger men in their thirties typically, um, who have now become uh, the leaders and who, who carry on the movement. And the gospel has traveled from these original 50 villages. And the fathers, I have verification that there is a, a church in a village, is 220 kilometers away. And um, that part of Sudan, it's a region as big as France, has churches all over. There is no no major region that is left out there in, la- in, in every major city and every town. And then also... Obviously, not in every single village, but in 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 in, in villages covering all the districts. <laughs> can we record this? Yes, we can, because the government has changed its stance. Um, initially, they wanted to suppress the movement, but they have kind of given up. Mm-hmm. They realized this is too big to suppress. We cannot, and so they have developed an attitude. I have been told by. Several national leaders, where they say, Oh, they have become apostates, they have become Christians, don't care about these guys. Which shows that, you know, if this is the, how the government assesses this, um, they, they have seen some of the um, magnitude of what has been happening. All that we contributed, I asked God about this, is, um, and I felt He said, You know, you were faithful. And you were there. And I, I I was so deep acutely aware of it by my own weakness. Um, the week these breakthrough meetings happened, I slept in the house of one of the chiefs, village chiefs, and you know, you sleep basically on the ground in a courtyard because um, they have only huts and the huts are too hot in the summer. And so I, here I was in the wide open sky, God's, you know, magnificent greatness displayed in the sky. And I was just plain exhausted. I was exhausted emotionally. I was, um, uh, exhausted physically completely. Um, and I, I didn't feel strong spiritually at all. So in utter dependence on God saying, Father, this, is you. This is so evidently you and so clearly are not me. Um, hunger for God is one of the qualities that later my research identified is something that all effective movement have, have in common. So I think here you see in a in a state of weakness, my my utter dependence of God, my My hunger for God to be evident in my weakness, in spite of my weakness and and through my weakness. The second thing is boldness. You know, imagine, and I've thought this about this a hundred times. Imagine I had followed my feelings, my promptings, beautiful vaccination campaign, right? Um, And then sat down. I mean, I believe God is sovereign. I believe there is a limitation to these reflections. But humanly speaking, could it be that all this had never happened? So th- there is this significant factor, I feel, in, in my own experience, of the human responsibility. In this fact, in this, in, in this particular instance, my lack of boldness motivating me to see God for more boldness Mm. and in the moment still the choice I had do I choose boldness now or I choose do I choose to play it safe and no one you know um, in my mission my leader my supporters, no one would have blamed me because this is hostile right and you're doing great work anyway and you're sharing the good news and yet you know what would have been lost Mm. so I say this with great awe, but the the, the human factor, God has chosen to use us, his earthen vessels, yet, you know, his glory in us. So that is a a significant factor. Um, A third factor is um, God continues his work with human uh, brokenness flaws and immaturities so in our case too and i hear this from many colleagues you know um one of the early key leaders he was actually the man of the first hour and the pillar of the movement respected by everyone training elders already himself uh, passing on everything he had learned and he embellished money you know, um, he began to deceive others, and he is out now. Um, and still, God, you know, used him for so many years while in in the background. And um, he was already unfaithful with with financial resources. H- how does that work? how How can God be so congenial, if that's the right word? You know, to accepted that his servants have flaws, there is fleshly tendencies, there is brokenness. There is even sin in their lives. And yet, he used that guy, um, I call him Omar, he used Omar as the pillar of, well, almost 10 years, more than five, well, almost 10 years, as the key leader of the movement. How is that? Well, I don't have an answer to it other than marvel how God is so good and also to think, you know, at the end, God gets the credit. Um, You know, I think Martin Luther said, a carpenter who uses perfect tools is still a great carpenter, but imagine a carpenter who uses you know it's the tools that are that are have faults and are old and, and rusty, you know, and not polished, and he still produces a masterpiece uh, that that is a yet greater carpenter. Uh, I don't know, um, this is a great analogy, that, that's my best um, explanation. But God uses men and women with significant flaws, and yet he writes his story that encourages me. Um, um more? How? How did this whole experience change you? In many ways, I think the locals have changed me. Um, sitting with them. So this, this is what we did. Um, okay, now we are a community um, of uh, uh, we call this Jesus groups. And in the first hour we avoided the word term church. Today they call themselves churches. That's okay. And um, okay, what does it mean to share life? What do we do when we gather together? So we basically read together through the book of Acts and and, and, and watched the disciples, the early disciples, well, when they got together, what happened? What did they do? And so that's what we'll do as well. Very frankly. It was a new learning and an unlearning. What is kingdom life? Obviously, I had brought my tradition, my German way of doing, my actually conservative evangelical way of doing things, my rather traditional way. And I was open to, um, to uh, I was prepared to say the expression of the kingdom, the expression of church among uh, Muslims uh, in, or former Muslims in Sudan must look different. I was open to that. But I think I wasn't ready for the fact that it would transform me. And so, uh, um, I mean, take take people orientation. Um, God made me um, a, a task-oriented person. I grew up in a culture that is known for its efficiency and, you know, straightforwardness. Wow, you know, these people shape me in their people orientation. It's all about your honor. It's all about your face. Um, and and if you're the leader, you know, I, I want to make sure that you're elevated to your status. Um, yes, we we might get something done as well, but um that is what really matters. And I learned that this is Jesus, <laughs> you know, love your neighbor, love the person that God put in front of you is is my greatest mission in the world. More important than to get anything accomplished. It transformed me. Uh, The value of relationships. Um, In my Christian upbringing, relationships were a means to an end. Kind of, you know, we need to get along so we get something accomplished uh, as the simplified version, because ultimately we're really only doing things together for God. And um, I learned from these young disciples from Muslim backgrounds who brought the cultural value of relational uh, unity, uh, the 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 importance of the relational bond into the kingdom, and 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 purified it and learned to now d- to resolve conflict in a better way than they used to. Right? So they were transformed by the gospel too. But I was transformed because. Wow, you know, um, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it, how Jesus uh, forging the bond with the 12, for example, by living, spending time with them day and night, by sharing life with them, was his primary vehicle of launching his kingdom in the world. What does that say about how I live, do ministry what does it say about the value I place on friendships in life uh, ha- has transformed me? So, in other words, uh, something I didn't expect is that building this movement together now with new lead emerging leaders, new disciples, um, was deeply a transformational for me don't forget you can spread the word about the movements podcast by recommending it to a friend or by leaving a review in your podcast provider i'm steve addison for the movements podcast